He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Lexington, Kentucky, here's Bruno DiGiulio. And welcome. This is Racing with Bruno, and we have enhanced our podcast. You are going to enjoy the fact that we will not be having the Wi-Fi issues and little things that make the Wi-Fi sometimes hard to do. And I've got a special person that is uh, a good friend of mine. Ron Flatter is going to be helping us, and he's going to bring his vast expertise in podcasts to help us have a great, clean product. And without any further delay... Hey, Ron, how's Vegas? <laughs> no pressure there. Uh, it's a little warm. It's a little toasty. Hi, Bruno. Good to be starting this partnership. I'm excited about this. I've listened to you. I've had you on my podcast. I've followed your product. I've seen your production and everything you do and the hard work you put in. And I'm just hoping that I can enhance this and not screw it up and get in your way. Well, first of all, you're not going to do that. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very good at tripping over my own two feet. And I sired a young lady named Joanna that loves to trip over her own two feet. So, you know, <laughs> it, it goes in the family. Uh, let's uh, talk about a little bit about how you can enhance our podcast uh, experience for our listeners. Many, many years ago, and I am 61, so we're going back to when I was a teenager, back before I invented the wheel. And I was touring a television station in Sacramento, uh, coming as a kid out of Chico, California, Sacramento was the big city for me back then. And I was aspiring to work for a television station, for goodness sake. And I remember along the way, one of the guys who gave me the tour of KOVR in Sacramento, Stockton, said to me, learn as much as you can about everything that you can, because in this business, versatility is an asset, and while you might need less of it as you go along, at some point in your career, that versatility will pay off. And what we're talking about here, in addition to hosting podcasts, I produce them, I'm the showrunner for my own podcast, as you are for yours and most people are for theirs. But sometimes you want to call on the assets of somebody who's been around the block a couple of times in this business, and I think I've done that. I've been in every form of job that you can think of in audio production, specifically radio, going back to the 70s, even including sales, for goodness sake. I was not very good at that. But in terms of cutting tape, remember tape, in terms of producing and writing and hosting, I can do that and mixing audio and things like that. And I enjoy that. And so I do it with my own podcast. I'm excited to bring that to your podcast, and hopefully we make it sound just that much more slick. And you bring a lot more than just uh, that particular skill set to the table. You've also been, uh, you've worked at the highest level. Uh, Tell us a little bit about, give us a quick resume about who Ron Flatter is, other than the stallion. (laughs) Yeah, Flatter the stallion. No relation, although we have in common the fact that when we were actually running, we didn't do well and we kept breaking down, but we did much better in the breeding shit. Well, maybe I should probably stop right there. Yeah, I think you should yeah, stop right you're there. You're right. The wife might get a little bit upset. Yeah, you're yeah, you're probably right on that score, and score is probably a word I shouldn't use either. So let's go right to the resume. 
And as I mentioned, as a teenager, I was very interested in this business, and I got my first full-time job in a place called Delta, Utah, after working a part-time gig in my hometown in Chico doing radio and television. I landed Delta, Utah. The station goes broke. Three months later, I'm in Page, Arizona, and then we start adding zip codes and addresses to the resume. But the highlights along the way, in addition to a lot of work in the West, I cut my teeth going to ESPN in 1992 to become one of the first radio producers there at the burgeoning ESPN radio network. I worked there in several stints at ESPN along the way, most recently ending about 10, uh, 11 years ago. It's a little bit of a fade because I still did some work for them in and out of other jobs. But I also worked in Australia. And in Australia, I worked for a radio station that was owned by the horse racing industry. And while I was called upon to be their international sports correspondent and be an expert on worldwide sports, I couldn't help but be immersed in horse racing there after I I already had been here in the United States. Came back here in 2007, went to work again for ESPN, bounced over to Fox, bounced over to CBS, and now... In the last few years, I have been at the Vegas Stats and Information Network as a host and reporter and a podcast host as well, where I got my podcast chops going. And along the way as well, in recent times, because of the pandemic, I've added some work, because haven't we all needed to? I do some writing for Horse Racing Nation and for Churchill Downs, and even produce a podcast or two for them. So... My hand is in everything. So that old lesson I had as a teenager, be versatile. It will pay off for you one day. Even at this ripe old age of 61, it's paying off for me. Well, Ron, the one big thing about, you know, handicapping and playing the races uh, uh, in a horse is you have to be versatile. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to change as times have changed. And boy, are we in a different situation that we could have ever imagined even six months ago yeah think about this bruno we're all trying to handicap a kentucky derby with three and a half year olds there has never been a kentucky derby with three and a half year olds you know better than i what a difference there is between a may three-year-old and a september three-year-old and let me just call out the names of arrowgate and west coast to give you an idea of what a difference a few months can make So it's a brave new world for all of us. I lean on guys like you to help me out and try to figure out what am I looking at because, in essence, as we're looking at this year and grading the Kentucky Derby, for instance, it's almost as if we're trying to forecast a normal year's Travers, but with a much larger field and, of course, at a very different track and surface. So in that respect, it's it's exciting at the same time as it is daunting But let's be honest here, too, Bruno, and you know this as well as I do. I'm an amateur handicapper at best. I am a recreational player. I probably could stand to read some of those books I read 30 years ago and do it all over again and try to do so with the the new eyes as to the modern way of thoroughbred racing. But isn't it something that in this year of the pandemic that the Kentucky Derby is still the touchstone? It is. And you've covered a Kentucky Derby. You've covered a number of uh, a great, uh, fa- you know, fantastic uh, sporting events. Tell us a little bit about some of your highlights in your career of what you have covered. In horse racing, certainly 13 Kentucky Derbies. We'll see about whether it'll be 14 this year. We'll cross our fingers and hope. But I've been to the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe 12 times. 
I have seen three Melbourne Cups. I have been to the Dubai World Cup. I have been to the British Champion Stakes at Ascot. Still have Royal Ascot on my bucket list. Was at 39 consecutive Triple Crown races before this year's Belmont. So that snapped that particular streak. Breeders' Cups going back to 2007, the very first year. It was two days when we went through the regatta at Monmouth Park. But as far as other sports are concerned, and I was involved in other sports going all the way back to the very first thing I had consumed as a professional, I was 15 years old anchoring coverage of a North American Soccer League exhibition game in my hometown, and we produced it on tape delay for cable television. If anyone has copies of that video, I will pay handsomely to have them destroyed, by the way, <laughs> to see me at that age trying to do what I was doing. It's very cringeworthy. But I also have been to Super Bowls and Olympics Ten years ago, right now, I was wrapping up coverage for ESPN Radio at the Soccer World Cup in South Africa, one of the highlight five weeks of my life for so many reasons that went even beyond sport. And wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you have a Vuvuzela? I do, I do have a Vuvuzela. Let's hear it. Oh, goodness. Well, hang on. Now, <laughs> I'll tell you what. We'll tease that to the end because in the next room, the missus is asleep. I would like for her to at least be able to stay that way for a little while longer. So, if anything, can we tease to put that at the end? Make people stay absolutely, tuned? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. We don't wake up the missus. All right. We don't. Yeah. <laughs> because that one. And it's bad enough because I've got neighbors who I gripe about when they make noise. So, yeah, I, don't, I just don't need to give them any more fuel than I have to. But I'll, I'll, we'll do something at the end. Who was your favorite? Who's, uh, who's been the, your favorite athlete to cover? Ooh, favorite athlete to cover. There have been some I've gotten to know. That, that goes into the flatter thing. You know, of some of those people thinking, oh, is Bruno being funny? Yeah, no pun intended. Some of the favorites to cover. Uh, I go back to uh, Reggie Theus is a name I'm going to throw out. Uh, we were friendly during the time I was covering the very first year. The Kings were in Sacramento. Bobby Chacon, the boxer who passed away not too long ago, I covered his last real run to glory when he happened to adopt the same hometown where I was living at the time in Butte County, California, and that was a whirlwind for a very young reporter. As far as recent times, there are so many people in horse racing that uh, go from Victor Espinosa to Bob Baffert to John Sheriff's. Manny Franco has just become one. I found a, a great deal of joy in covering him ahead of the Belmont Stakes that he won. So that list gets longer and longer. It's Fortunately, I've been very lucky that most of the athletes I have covered, I have either enjoyed or just had no opinion of. The ones that I have the strongest memories of, and I will not mention them here. You have a better chance of getting me to play an anthem on the Vuvuzela than to trash some of the athletes that I have had a bad time dealing with. And I could name them, but I will. those will go to my grave. Fortunately, I've had a good deal of time and spent with good good people. I will give you another that I didn't get to know at all because there were so many people tugging at his cape when he was playing the role of Superman 11 years ago. But I had the good fortune in 2009 to cover the World Track and Field Championships, at which Usain Bolt set the world records that still stand in the 100 meters and 200 meters. That was in Berlin. And it was a great time and to be in that city that particular summer 
And it was an amazing experience to see those two major world records fall in track and field. And here they stand even 11 years later. So if I have a highlight beyond some of my horse racing highlights, it would be having been in attendance for those two world records at a, a, in a glorious setting of the old Olympic Stadium in Berlin. How was your experiences with the Arc de Triomphe and the, uh, and the Melbourne Cup? Melbourne Cup was, I went as a fan, really, because uh, the only time I actually covered the Melbourne Cup as a reporter, I was asked to go around and get foreign reaction to Delta Blues and Pop Rock finishing 1-2 in the Melbourne Cup, uh, both coming in from Japan. And so I was looking for fans who had come in, preferably from Japan, but as it was, as many people as I could find from places other than Australia, uh, there was a little bit needle in the haystack in a crowd of 120,000 people at Flemington, but that was a lot of fun. But that is, it's a glorious setting for not only the Melbourne Cup, but the Spring Carnival, the Cox Plate, the Caulfield Cup, Victoria Derby Day, which is right up there with the Breeders' Cup in terms of quality of racing that happens on the Saturday before Melbourne Cup Tuesday. And it is just such a party atmosphere. And to see racing embraced the way it is for those seven weeks in Australia during the Spring Carnival, it's at once a big picnic, a nightclub. Uh, Being a single man in Australia, I will not complain one whit about having uh, seen what I was able to see at the (laughs) Melbourne Spring Carnival year after year. It's a very different setting, Bruno, for the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe at Longchamp because it is... Hot style in France, and you go there, and it is autumn, and it, the weather can be anything from very beachy to very blustery, and it can be. It is a roll of the dice when you go to the Arc. Uh, I prefer the old Longchamp to the new one. They've tricked it out and glitzed it up, and frankly, I just don't find it as welcoming as the old place was. But I'm an old guy, and I'm going to feel that way about pretty much anything. But the Arc is a special race because it does bring together the best horses, generally from England, Ireland, and France. You occasionally will get others. Maybe you know, you've know you had a German winner. You've had a couple German winners here in recent times. So that, that is a whole different... That's almost like a racing connoisseur's convention, a little bit Breeders' Cup-like, where the Kentucky Derby is like the everyman's race, but the Breeders' Cup is for the serious horse player. And that certainly is what I feel about the arc. That place and that race, while there's a certain amount of style that goes along with it, and when you go to Paris, what isn't? That is a horse player's paradise to go to that race and that card. So you've been around the world. You've, tri- you've traveled and been in places that a lot of people listening uh, it's on their bucket list. Mm-hmm. Australia, the Belmore Cup is definitely on mine. Uh, the Log de Triomphe uh, is our is very much something I think about. Uh, you know, I was supposed to go to Royal Ascot this year, and that didn't happen oh, because of this pandemic, the damn COVID nineteen. Yeah, you know, but uh, you know, it's really changed the whole landscape this year. Um, you and I spoke in April, mid April, and we talked about the actual effects and what we thought uh, would happen and. Uh, during this pandemic and with for example you know to be able to get into the racetracks now you have to have either COVID-19 test or antibody test in New York to having uh, having your temperature checked uh, and ID on anybody that comes in to other tracks 
and it's been um, it's been quite a change. But we got Keeneland starting this uh, Wednesday. I was just going to ask you about that. Can I spin the tables on you a little bit here? Absolutely. All right. See, I'm going to take advantage of this situation. <laughs> Don't expect this to be the last time. But it's Keeneland... It'll cost you a Vuvuzela anthem. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I don't know that you're getting an anthem out of it. Most things have one note, basically. Uh, I'll do the one-note samba. Uh, <laughs> so Keeneland gets started on Wednesday, and so it's not the meat that we normally would be used to in the spring, and it's compressed with a lot of the stakes races that we are familiar with that are normally ahead of the traditional Kentucky Derby date. Notably, you have the Bluegrass and the Ashland and all those, but... As you look at this card, how do you approach Keeneland, especially because it's so compressed? Well, I've been at Keeneland since probably early April. And I've had a chance to watch horses train there. Um, and the interesting dynamic that it, that has taken place is when Churchill opened back up, I stayed at Keeneland. Because all the two-year-olds were there. Mm-hmm. And if you watched, and I kept an eye on Churchill as well. Churchill, up until probably in the last month, had more older horses than young horses. The two-year-olds pretty much stayed either in Florida or they were down here at, at TTC, the Thoroughbred Training Center, down mm-hmm. here in Lexington, uh, Keeneland, and... So I had a really strong Churchill Downs meet on two-year-olds coming up from Keeneland. Hmm. Well, that has continued. You know, we have large tabs at Keeneland. Churchill is going. So I feel that going into this meet, in this five-day meet, it's going to be a chance to really really see some of these two-year-olds and just horses that maybe haven't had a chance to run with Lone Star all of a sudden closing its doors yesterday. Mm-hmm. You've got horses from Lone Star coming over for the Thursday card. Um, we're going to have an influx of that. And and I think it's going to be probably the best five days of racing that we've seen uh, since this whole COVID-19 pandemic started. So I'm really looking forward to that. We've got the bluegrass. We've got on Saturday. It's going to be probably a monster card. And there's going to be a ripple effect for it because those horses that are running this week at Keelan most likely would have been going opening week or first two weeks of Saratoga. Mm. But with this whole COVID-19, I spoke to an assistant trainer at who just shipped into Saratoga and he told me it's quiet as <clears throat> here, you know, <laughs> He told me, he, he said, it's quiet. There's nobody here. And so having seen that and all the horses, all the, I mean, these five days of full fields, it's going to completely take effect on the early part of Saratoga. And if you look at the early book at Saratoga in the condition book mm-hmm. where they list all the races for trainers to point to, there's a lot of claimers. There's starter allowance horses. There's New York breads, maidens, maiden claimers. So the, the 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 first part of the book at Saratoga is going to be there's going to be some complaining, but people just don't realize what it means for to be able to put together a regular Saratoga. 
a lot of barns are not shipping out of Kentucky. A lot of barns are staying here. Brandon Walsh stated he's staying hmm. here. Well, hopefully we're going to get him on the podcast too soon uh, in the next couple of weeks. But uh, there's a good chance that, you know, the guys like Brandon Walsh, uh, guys like uh, 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 Phil Bauer, uh, guys like uh, that that go up there, Dale Romans, um, and uh, Albert Stahl, Al, Al Stahl Jr. Uh, Asmussen has a, has a barn up there. So does Cox. They can ship in and out. But I'll guarantee you, a lot of the major horses and a lot of the, the ones that they really want to train, they're going to train them here and then ship up and run up there. So the, 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 the overall impact of the Keeneland meet and adding the COVID-19 and adding the fact that if you're coming from certain states, you got to go into New York, you got to quarantine if you bring in people, that's going to be tough on a lot of trainers. So, you know, we're lucky here in Kentucky. We're the only green state in the country right now, that in New York. Hmm. So um, a lot of the other states are red, if, you, yeah. if you've seen some of the maps. No doubt about so, it. So in a lot of ways, there's going to be a lot of the migrating you won't see as much. So what's it going to be important? First of all, seeing these races here at Keeneland, because they're going to be high-powered races, and then trying to navigate enough through the first three weeks of Saratoga and with some of cheaper, some of the cheaper uh, 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 types of horses running until their two-year-olds crank up that are stable at Saratoga and Belmont are able to run. Now, why do I say that? Keeneland's going to take a number of, of two-year-olds and even maidens at three-year-olds that you would have seen at Saratoga. That's the first part. The second part, Oklahoma the Oklahoma track that opens up usually in late April and, you know, in late April, mm -hmm. usually the horses that are there now, you know, used to get maybe about 1,500 horses a month. They would work over there uh, leading up to uh, it'd be about 600 uh, to 1,500 horses up there at, at, on the Oklahoma track. Well, just the, the, the Oklahoma track opened up late. Mm -hmm. So it opened up in June. So now you've got Bill Maude, who's got a zillion young horses. They're only up to half a mile at the most. You can't get horse ready for the beginning of the meet by doing that. All those two-year-olds that even on a, on a perfect timing are going to be ready by the end of the meet going into Belmont. So you're going to have all these two-year-olds that usually are ready by the middle of the meet or towards the end. Now they're a whole month behind. Mm. So having said that, Saratoga doesn't have that top, those horses to draw from. So who are they going to have to draw from? Well, they're going to have to draw from Kentucky, where Ellis Park is running here. So a lot of the horses are going to be funneled to Ellis Park, especially if a trainer doesn't want to ship. Laurel, you're going to have uh, Mammoth. Um, so you're going to have to draw from Mammoth, Laurel, Penn National, you got to draw from a lot of different states to make that that Saratoga uh, product to the satisfaction of people who are not going to be happy the way the races are going to set up. Now, what's what's what the beauty about what this Keeneland meet is going to offer is five days of pure racing um, that your people are going to love. Full fields. Looks like the weather might be okay. It's been hot as heck here, but it will. So there is a cause and effect to what's going to happen later. 
But we're going to get a taste of what's happening here in Kentucky. And I've said it since probably uh, around last year, uh, last October or November, that Kentucky is the place to be right now if you have horses. And we're going to see it this week. In respect to a couple of things that perked my ears as you were talking about them, with the two-year-olds, especially as they're going to be late getting to Saratoga, I haven't looked at the condition book carefully enough on Keeneland, or for that matter on Ellis, to see what's been written for two-year-olds. Does Keeneland have... There's a ton of them here. Okay, that's where I was going. There's a ton of them here. What what my point is about New York is the lateness opening of uh, of, of Oklahoma. Right. Because now the Chad Browns, the Todd Pletchers, the Bill Motts, the guys that would have 40, 50, 60 two-year-olds, maybe even 100 two-year-olds up there, don't really have that. They didn't have that opportunity. So a lot of those two-year-olds either had to go to a track like Payson or they had to go down the Gulf Stream or they had to go, you know, Pletcher shut down his Palm Beach Downs. You know, he moved up to New York. He's, you know, his two-year-olds will probably come right from the farm, but he had to wait until Oklahoma opened up. So it's a really, it's really a much different scenario than we've ever had before. And I sat back since April and I looked at it the way it was developing. And I made the decision that my best thing, I've got a gentleman in New York. I'm going to have a, I have a, a new shooter with Racing with Bruno. He's going to be at Belmont. I've got my Mike Saratoga. Uh, Mike, Mike Niaskas who's in Saratoga mm-hmm. and lives in Saratoga. He's with me all the whole, uh, for the last six, seven years. Um, he will be at Saratoga. I'm going to stay here in Kentucky. And I'm going to watch all these horses in Kentucky migrate when they do run, run up to Saratoga. But also, we've got the Kentucky Derby on, on, on first Saturday in September. So Churchill is going to be very important, especially three weeks going in, is people will be training for that. And there's going to, you guarantee you that that Derby card in September, in, in the first Saturday in September, is going to be phenomenal. What about Saratoga? compared with past years, because it's going to be a very different mix of horses, especially early on in the meet. We've seen, as horse players, we're getting chalk burn at Saratoga, certainly last year and in recent years. How will that be impacted? Oh, I I, I think the first couple of weeks are going to be a little rough filling races because of of the horses that are going to be drawn, because first of all, it's the ability of, of shipping, and, and trainers, and, and, and especially if you don't have a barn up there. That's got to be tough. Um, the second thing is uh, you've got Keeneland drawing all the horses from them the first two weeks uh, that are going to run this week. And then you have, at the end of the meet, you've got Churchill drawing horses out of the final weekend at Saratoga. Because mm. you know there's horses that are going to run at Churchill on the first Saturday in September, and for that little three-day meet that they're having, or I, I think it's a three-day or four-day meet, um, those those horses were most likely going to run at Saratoga. Not this time. So I think we're going to have a good middle of the run in August. You know, Saratoga's going to look a little bit like its old self, but then by the end of the meet, it might be a little tough. However, I do have a I, I do have a prognostication. Mm-hmm. 
Chad Brown will eclipse the number of winners he had when he broke the track, the, the record of most winners at Saratoga this year. He'll shatter it. I find it stunning to hear that Chad Brown will be dominant in a Saratoga summer. He, he's he's going to, I mean, he's going to win. He's going to have three horses for, for most races. He's got the horses. He, you know, he's he's got the, 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 the talent. You know, he's he's going to dominate. And, and you know, you got Fletcher with all the babies. You're going to have Mott with a lot of horses. I think we saw it this past weekend when Mott unveiled a couple of really nice European horses. So, You've got a situation really coming around that this is going to be an absolute um, difference, different year than we've ever seen before. Duh, right? <laughs> yeah, but in ways that keep unfolding for us. So that's yet another way we're learning all about that. Okay, I think I picked your brain to the extent I should on this episode. Because if I st- keep going here, it'll be like you know a four and a half hour podcast. Right, no, yeah, we could, yeah, we could go on and on. We've had some of those on our on, on this podcast uh, platform. Now, just for the people out there, what do you do with this podcast? Now, you're going to enhance it for us. What do you do to clean it up uh, and adding any bells and whistles? Like, for example, with your bubuzella. <laughs> All right, let me go do that. Let me make sure the wife's uh, you know what, what, what circumstances there. Stand by. Walk this way. If I, could walk I love this that way. song by Aerosmith. Can you do that on Bubuzella? Right, we should have elevator music here right now. As Ron Flatter is getting his Bubuzella to get us a little bit of... <laughs> Flatter, you're awesome. Welcome <laughs> on board. Now, I should also tell you some of the things that we'll do to enhance this is when you get hiccups in Skype audio, we're doing this on Skype, we can say that, or if we were doing it on Zoom or whatever service there might be, there are hiccups in the audio. There are always hiccups. You're never going to get around those a 1,000%. We clean those up in post-production. We have ways of digitally cleaning those up. Not going to do this to the extent where we're going to unethically clean it up, but you know, sometimes you get those big gaps between the question and the answer. We narrow them down to what we actually experienced on one end or the other. So as you're listening to it, it sounds like a normal conversation. In other words, if my boy Joe, who I just had to chase away, I don't know if you could tell, I had to chase him away from the wall because he decided he was going to eat the wall. Well, that Um, could be entertaining. Yes, and now he's staring at my modem, and I'm a little afraid and freaked out of what he's going to do to that modem if I turn around. I should, but uh, you should point but, out, by the way, we presume Joe is a dog, although we could yes. imagine he's, otherwise. Uh, he's the, uh, yeah, of course, he goes right to the modem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right on cue, right for the modem. No, you're not. No, 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 you go. Downstairs. There you go. <laughs> Welcome to my life. Joe either heard the little whir. He did. Or he sensed a little bit of heat. Oh, he's here. He's right here, right next to me. He's my little, he's my buddy. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, he's probably waiting going, I come, it's my day, to, it's my time to go for a walk. And then you're over here on the radio with this guy, you know. <laughs> he's blowing right, horns. Buddy? Am I right, buddy? Did I wake him up with the Vuvuzela? No, no, he was quite a wide awake. You know, he's uh, he's a character, you know, but uh, and uh, he's a Siberian Husky. He's eight months I love old. Love them. 
and uh, he loves his papa and uh, likes to, you know, he, he's my sidekick. He goes to the track with me every morning, too. He goes to the track with me and clocks every morning, right in the front seat. I've asked you this before, and I can't remember the answer now, so shame on me. Does he have two different color eyes? No, he has two blue eyes. Okay. Very blue. I've, Very blue. I, years ago, when I was living in Connecticut at ESPN, I would venture to Quebec City up in French Canada all the time, sometimes seven or eight times a year. I enjoyed it so. And I would go in the winter. And there was a consortium of farms that would sell you the opportunity to go dog sledding on a big, expansive property. And so between Huskies and Malamutes, I made a lot of friends up there of the canine variety. And they are just the most beautiful animals. They are just gorgeous. As much as we can talk about the beauty of horses, Huskies and I are just, oh, I can, I can look at them and watch them and marvel at them all day. Oh, there he is. He, his, his ears were burning. <laughs> uh, you know, they are. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm a huge animal fan. I love, I'm, I, I've, I love my dogs. And uh, Joe has been, you know, for anybody that's out there, uh, he's looking at me every time I mention his name. He looks at me like, am I getting royalties for this? Yeah, um, as in food. But uh, for any horse player out there that has sat down and handicapped their, with, with their form and their dog sitting right next to them, um, it, it, there's no better. There's no better thing to have is is your man's best friend, and he is extremely intelligent and he's a fun dog. If he only had thumbs, I think he could clock. <laughs> I was just and gonna, we'll leave it at that. I was going to say, could he do a quick cap if I need to turn one around in ten minutes before you know the fourth at Belmont or something like that? Yeah. Well, those you know. But uh, so, Ron, I'm really glad to have you on board. Um, I've always approached these podcasts from a standpoint of trying to share information with um, with the listener, with our friends out there, with our handicappers, with our brothers, um, and and trying to give a little piece about who we are. And it's not just about the professional side, but also giving that little side of uh, who we are as people, and I've known you a long time. I know what you are. You're a fantastic person, uh, and you're you're an excellent professional. And um, seeing the side of people that is their personal side is sometimes the most exciting part about meeting people and talking to people. Thank you so much. I am blushing here, as you can probably tell, listening to this podcast. It comes right through. But thank you, Bruno. I appreciate it. Back at Welcome you. Welcome on board. I, thank you. I was just going to say, it, it, this is exciting, and I'm pumped to be involved here. Uh, and Joe is, too. <laughs> he Joe is, too. very much, yeah, very much, uh, he's like, can you get off the phone and take me for a damn walk? You know? <laughs> yeah. Hey, buddy, it's too hot out there. Way too hot. Come to Vegas. Hey, <laughs> I'll show you hey, hot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening. We wanted to give you a kind of an idea of what we're doing. I wanted to get Ron on and and talk about what Racing with Bruno's got coming. Ron and I are going to be doing a lot of stuff together here. We're going to be doing a lot of uh, – and I'm, Ron is going to be handling a lot of the news and stuff that, that we need to talk about. And he's going to let me kind of focus on getting the product, getting the works, getting the information out to you so you can really enjoy your racing because that's what it comes down to. I'll let all of you go. I'll let Ron go and say – we're here to have some fun. 
on. <laughs> and Joe is already having fun. Hope that, hope that wasn't the modem. No, that he's got like one of those big uh, Kong balls that you put stuff in and he chases. And he picks it up with his mouth and throws it up in the air. I mean, the thing that's the size of a of like a mini golf ball, you know, and he picks it up and throws it up in the air, you know, and then he or he rolls it down the stairs, you know. So anyway, thank God I don't have neighbors. <laughs> Folks, we've got a number of great guests lined up and and there he goes with the ball downstairs. This has been so funny just to watch him while I'm trying to do the podcast with you. We will talk to you soon. Have a great day. Thank you. Get more from Bruno by going to racingwithbruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.